Hello, everyone. This is your host, Sergeant First Class Arsalan Khan with the Warrant Officer Recruiting Company. And today, we'll be exploring the 350 Fox Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty, also known as the All-Source Intelligence Technician. Our special guest is no other than CW3 Angel Mitre uh, from the United States Army Asymmetric Warfare Group. And he will be discussing what it means to be the subject matter expert, a technician, and most importantly, an innovator in the military intelligence warrant officer cohort. Chief Mitre, thank you so much for joining us today. And we are excited to hear your input on all the different ways that 350 Fox Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty contributes to mission accomplishment. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences as a warrant officer and how you feel about serving in your warrant officer specialty, sir? First off, thank you so much for having me on today's episode and really for allowing me to represent the specialty that takes the most time to become proficient brings together all of the warfighting functions, and then really blends it all up to come up with a professional, unbiased, intelligent, credible, timely, and accurate assessment on what the commander needs to know. Remember, not always what the commander wants to know. My experience as a warrant officer is deeply rooted by my loyalty and, quite honestly, my duty to serve the country. I'm the first of my family to serve in the United States Army. My grandmother on my father's side of the family served as a nurse in the Mexican Armed Forces, and my father intimately supported the United States federal government as a technical expert employed at the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, where he supported the research and development of the Voyager 1 space probe, the most distant man-made object from Earth in the late 70s, and later assisted in the development of multiple IBM processors used in, in the introduction of the first personal computer in 1981. So why the background and brief history lesson? I believe each and every one of us has what I call the story. It's what drives us to become who we are or who we want or will become someday. My experiences in the military, specifically in the Army, are all based on choosing this lifestyle and pursuing a career in which an individual can manage and attain a greater sense of self-worth, but doing it selflessly. This isn't to say the other career fields and militaries do not, but the Army was a choice and it wasn't out of desperation. It was a necessity, a calling, if you will, but more importantly, my duty. My experiences at Warrant Officer are priceless. Every job opportunity that presented itself to me, I never hesitated and gave it my everything. Plain and simple, I don't do the job for the OER. I don't do it for the accolades. I do it for God, for my family, and for my country. I love what I do, and my wife and I always talked about what a career MI Warrant Officer looks like. I said, honey, the day I retire and stop playing Army is the day I don't have fun anymore. And here we are today. My experiences have equipped me with a diverse set of skills that have and will allow me to contribute to a wide array of mission requirements. My background consists of special operations, reconnaissance, field artillery, aviation, counter-narcotics, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, and science and technology mission sets. I have served in diverse and challenging assignments, conventional, soft, and joint, each with unique exposure within joint interagency, intergovernmental, multinational mission sets. I have worked with multiple interagency partners and interacted with delegations spanning from all combatant commands. The short answer to how I feel about serving in my MOS is defined by the level of growth and adaptation to the organization and the greater army. 
but more importantly, how it is passed on to future generations at all levels and across enlisted and commissioned officers as a whole. Well, thank you for sharing your story, sir. For the interested applicant, and for those of us who may just want to know more, we ask questions that a large percentage of us have when deciding to pursue a career as a MI uh, warrant officer, or more specifically, an all-source technician. In essence, we would like to illuminate these questions and hear your response to some of the most critical and frequently rumored mysteries of the 350 Fox. Let us begin by asking you, what do warrant officers in your specialty do in a normal span of a duty day when they start off as a new warrant officer in the cohort, and how do those responsibilities evolve into more responsibilities later on? How much time do we have today? Um, it's a great question. Well, I don't think I can articulate the universal response to a W-1's first day of work because, quite frankly, everyone's job and responsibilities are different. And we really have to publicly address that the all-source technician's job, like I said earlier, isn't based on a single or even cumulatively built block of instruction. An old friend of mine, Brian Clifton, for those of you who remember him, once told me, none of us are here to teach you exactly what your job will be one day. We're here to identify doctrinally what you need to build a foundational understanding of your job as a warrant officer and an intelligence professional. In 2012, I interviewed and was selected to be a division collection manager for the 101st Airborne Division. Put simply, I was in charge of managing all collection requirements for over 36,000 soldiers and in less than nine months would be charged with leading the division into combat as a subject matter expert on every collection capability and sensor the Army had. That was my first experience as a W-1. Thankfully, I had a strong analytical background and a desire to do one thing, empower those who I trusted the most, my NCOs, while accepting constructive criticism and feedback to constantly improve and develop myself and the team. These responsibilities didn't really evolve in complexity of my intelligence analysis, if you will, but more so by an increasingly difficult responsibility that not many of us would, in my opinion, choose to discuss. Administrative oversight of your enlisted personnel how to interact with a captain, a major, and perhaps even a lieutenant colonel or a colonel if you're lucky. These leaders used to be your platoon leaders, your company commander, and brigade senior intel officers. Now they're asking you to doctrinally define a nation state's way of fighting, order a battle, and what steps of intelligence preparation of the battlefield define the future conflicts and multiple combatant commands. The bottom line is, as a W-1, I would offer this piece of advice. Learn to live with being wrong. Fight for what you believe in as long as it's done with professionalism. Use your ears more than your mouth. And finally, trust is earned, not given. This may seem like the hardest part of your career as you'll struggle to set boundaries and establish your philosophy, but things like this come in time. So embrace being able to learn about your soldiers to your left and to your right. When all is said and done and your time is up in the military, you'll look back and think to yourself, what did I leave behind and how will I be remembered? Well, thank you for sharing that with us, sir. Uh, why should someone pursue this type of commission, and what are some of the benefits they take into the civilian world? Personally, they should pursue this career field and commission only if they are really serious about becoming a technical expert. As a non-commissioned and commissioned officer, you're a jack-of-all-trades. There are phases of development involved in NCO and officership that have a unique experience and a multitude of positions, but at the end of the day, they're all limited in scope to what the Army says is subjectively where you should be, know, and do. If you follow a prescribed glide path and you're good at it, 
you'll become X rank. And if you do not, here's what you will plateau at and here's where you'll end. For a warrant officer, it's completely different. It doesn't mean it's better, it doesn't mean it's worse. Let me put it to you like this. The Army has over 1 million people with active reserve and National Guard. We're less than 3% of the entire force. There are over 800 courses alone across the joint and interagency community for 350 Foxes. We're not restricted to one specialty. It's our job to know all of them. As far as benefits go, I genuinely believe the military is limitless in what it can provide for our civilian workforce. Analysts are always in high demand, and with every and any school you go to, it adds up. To name a few, I'm certified in the Defense Intelligence Agency's Intelligence Collection Management, Targeting, and Open Source Intelligence Tradecraft course. So far in my career, I have completed a counter-threat finance course along with an intelligence surveillance reconnaissance synchronization joint space and a few Mazent courses that I took when I was enlisted. Attending these schools allowed me to seek additional training guidance and become proficient in advanced analytic and operational development tools. Developmental tools and big data processing capabilities are often overlooked, but it is the future of our military. So to really set yourself apart from your peers, you need to try and take advantage of as many as you can. I really took into consideration the squeaky wheel gets the oil. As a young staff sergeant working in an intelligence organization or in support of an operational command, what advice would you give them on what types of jobs they need to start working towards in their enlisted careers that will help them to achieve a commission as a 350 Fox warrant officer? That's a tough one because everyone learns differently and at their own pace. Diversity is the soldier's greatest toolkit. When I was a young NCO, I sought after positions in all the warfighting functions. In order to truly become a subject matter expert, I felt like I needed to understand blue before red. And many times during deployment, my subordinates and even some of the most senior leaders could not discern, compare, contrast our enemy capabilities against our own capabilities. Knowing both sides of the battle are equally important. I'm sure everyone has felt this way at some point during some of the initial exercises as a young private, um, I was expected when I was younger to know that everything uh, did and how it worked and how it fought. Uh, it was basically an order of battle technician as an enlisted analyst. Um, high expectations, but it was fun nevertheless. I was also expected to understand the enemy losses and capabilities and vulnerabilities. As a first assignment, it was near impossible, but somehow I managed to succeed. Yes, I did physical security. Yes, I was a battalionist too, but I learned what I could with the tools I had. We had human collection NCOs, SIGINT NCOs, and prior service NCOs in all of our ranks. And to say the least, no matter where I was, I was always curious and seeking to understand my organization and its capabilities. The bottom line is, you got to ask questions. Well, thank you, sir. That was very insightful. Um, what is the most common mistake made by applicants applying to the cohort, and how can they be avoided? I think the most common mistake is time and experience. If you have to question if you're ready or not, chances are you're probably not. Another thing to consider is your evaluations. From the moment you become an NCO, your evaluations are being carefully examined for clarity and concision. Your performance and potential are just the icing on the cake. Timing is everything for a potential candidate, especially one in my field. A 350 Fox is literally a technical expert and not having the right tools while you're enlisted means the unit and the military as a whole will suffer when you decide to switch over and it's time for you to support a BCT division or even higher. I don't recommend you give up. What I would say is to step outside of your comfort zone and seek guidance from your warrant officers in your unit. 
If you don't have one in your organization, then seek externally. We're almost everywhere in the world. And finally, I would say that even before you apply to the cohort, you should consider your physical and mental toughness. There is absolutely no excuse why you should not be seeking to better yourself academically and physically. Once an applicant is selected, how long do they attend Warrant Officer Candidate School and how long is the training for 350 Fox Warrant Officer Specialty? So Warrant Officer Candidate School is five weeks long. It's designed to train, assess, evaluate, and develop Warrant Officer competencies at every level. Hazing, cliques, and toxic leadership have no place here. In my career, I've heard it all. It's a place where you got to play the game. It's a fraternity. Just keep quiet and you'll get through fine. And my favorite, walks is a joke, man. I will tell you right now that the school has evolved significantly within the last couple of years, and warrant officers across the spectrum will attest that when they went through school, it was definitely not any of the aforementioned narratives. Warrant officer school was a life-changing experience for me. Personally, I would love to be a TAC officer and become a positive contributing factor to the United States Warrant Officer cohort as a whole. I had an amazing group of TAC instructors that at every moment in my time assisted in my development and foundational knowledge of what a warrant officer should and has become. It humbled me, and I just tried my best. Last thing I'll say about the candidate course is to go there to learn, not prove something to someone about who you are or are not. Okay, once complete, you get about a week to 10 days in between where you're expected to travel to your follow-on assignment or basic course. For the MI cohort, it's at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and it's an average from 11 to 13 weeks depending on mission requirements, holidays, and potential emergencies. Be prepared to work, like every day. I remember there were times when warrants from other MOSs were off celebrating their freedom. There we were, all 19350 foxes in the classroom on Fridays and Saturdays. There were a few of us who would go work out and grab chow, and then guess what? We'd be right back where we were Monday through Friday. Now I will say, it was not a forced function for us to be there at the study hall. It was by choice. Was it difficult? Not really. Time-consuming, tedious, and required a large amount of attention? Definitely. But it was all worth it. So Warrant Officer School for me was October. It's the best time to go, in my opinion. Uh, WOBC was December through February, and then on to my first W1 assignment in March. Now here's where it gets interesting. And depending on who you interact with prior to getting your first request for orders, or RFO, you'll want to ensure you're getting to an assignment that is deploying or a force comm unit. It has to be conventional. Just my opinion, but I, I harp on this with some of my analysts. Do not be the guy or girl that thinks, I've already done this before, and pretend you can hide out and be comfortable. The 350 Fox community is extremely small, and your name is everything to the cohort. Challenge yourself. I cannot reiterate it enough. I got to my first unit and never looked back. Thank you for sharing that, sir. Uh, once you've been trained and pinned on as a warrant officer, do you have any input on where you'll be stationed? And what is the process for selecting a duty station? Okay, let's get something straight before we go any further. As a newly promoted W-1, you're essentially needs of the Army. And I would like to think that you don't have a say at all where you go. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule, EFMP, dual military, and the sorts. But if you're just more interested in going to Hawaii, Vice North Carolina, because you like the color of the water in the Pacific over the Atlantic, not going to happen. The Warrant Officer cohort, like I've said many times before, is extremely small, so you'll eventually get to know almost everyone in it. Well, at least you'll get to know the performers and the not-so-performers. I'm not saying the MOS conducts preferential treatment. That is not the case. But what I will tell you is that your hard work gets noticed by senior members of your Human Resources branch, 
proponent and the talent management leaders in the military, especially when it comes PCS and moving time. Now that we have the assignments interactive module, setting yourself apart from your peers and developing and establishing a great solid resume is ever more important. The talent marketplace allows you to see what's out there, but I wouldn't really count on getting your top five most preferred assignments as a W1. The last thing I would say to newly promoted W1s is tackle the hard assignments first and don't take anything that happens within the first two years too seriously. You go where you go and you do your best. It's simple as that. When approaching your unit uh, officer in charge or the senior warrant officer for a letter of recommendation, what steps should an NCO take to position themselves in receiving a stellar letter of recommendation? This one hits near and dear to my heart for a couple of reasons. But before I get into that, I just want to let everyone know that MI Proponent is always happy to find a senior warrant officer that will review an NCO's file and conduct interviews to determine if they're ready to become a warrant officer. I was actually one of the lucky few NCOs who didn't have any known warrants from previous assignments with me. By the time I actually decided to go warrant, just after my six and a half year marker, they had already all PCS'd. At the time, warrant officers were extremely rare at the battalion S2 level, at the troop level in a CAV squadron. Um, they were basically all at the brigade level. Um, so I did some researching on my own at brigade and division levels. I realized you have to put some effort into what you're, what you're doing and to get some responses from my would-be senior mentors. I remember filling out my packet and envisioning how long it would take to become a warrant, go to school, attend undergraduate studies, and finally finish my master's. It all flashed before my eyes when I met Lou Renew. He was the warrant that would go on to write my letter of recommendation. It was fairly simple for me in all honesty, but it was very nerve wracking. The good news is I had already drafted out a sample just to see what one would look like. I had written a resume, printed out all of my evaluations in 1059s, and really sought after some senior NCOs and officers of whom I thought would have the best insights as to how I performed and what potential they thought I had when I was deployed or in charge of my squad. Um, in other words, I was prepared, or at least as best I could be, to try and show the individual who was or wasn't going to write my LOR. Biggest thing I could say was that by the time I was a pretty senior staff sergeant, I had already completed a diverse set of assignments and had applied for and volunteered for positions at all the warfighting functions in the Army. Was it an anomaly? Not really. I honestly believe I got the assignments I did because I was proactive. So don't be afraid of stepping outside your comfort zone and just go with what you know. Thank you, sir. That was very informative. Now, the next question is mostly for our family life. Um, what is family life like as a 350 Fox warrant officer? And how can we best take care of our families as we embark on our quest to become a 350 Fox warrant officer? Family life is great, but like everything in the Army, it takes resiliency and patience to develop, especially if your spouse has never experienced the military before. Then some history lessons and road trips will need to be introduced. I was lucky in meeting my wife. She was already a combat veteran and had participated in recruiting and retention of current and future service members. Her father was a retired 5th Special Forces Group Sergeant Major. We were set. We have two beautiful children and have since moved about three times, each with its own challenges and lessons learned, if you will. The key to making family life work as a 350 Fox is to have realistic expectations and transparency with your family, not just your spouse. The 350 Foxes I associate with are and were extremely hard workers, often creating a type of challenge on who could stay at work the latest or who could make the best product. But at the end of the day, knowing when it's time to go home is when it's time to go home. 
I also realized that having a good locally based warrant officer family wherever you were stationed at helped bring together the family more often. Whether it was grilling out, surfing, hiking, working out, running marathons or CrossFit, at the end of the day, staying together is what matters. Unit dependent, the average 350 Fox works about 80 to 90 hours a week. In summary, the best way to take care of our families is to be honest about the workload. Have some balance, if you will, and provide transparency about your battle rhythm, and this will set you up for success. What are the three best duty stations that one can expect to serve in while assigned as a 350 Fox warrant officer? The best place to be is where your family is happy, your leadership supports you in your career goals, and where you are challenged to become better for yourself. Yes, I know it sounds cliche and probably a bit unrealistic, but those duty stations are out there. Otherwise, for the most part, you'll get one or two of the three, but not all at the same time. We were stationed in Hawaii for five years, but I held multiple positions and worked for two different organizations. I was allowed to travel the entire Pacific, attended universities across every country from Hollywood to Bollywood. If I had to rank order the best assignment, I would honestly say that in Conus, Fort Carson, anywhere in Florida, and Fort Campbell. And then Oconus, Hawaii, of course, it's my home, and anywhere in Europe and Latin America. Thank you, sir. What are some of the most important certifications and training experiences warrant officers should pursue in the course of their career in this warrant officer specialty, and why? This question is a bit difficult, as the type of 350 Fox you'd like to become is heavily dependent on what classes and courses you take. What some may consider important, others may not. I think this goes back to where you see yourself, right? For example, do you see yourself as a special operations enabler, architecture and data expert, conventional military technician, or doctrinal instruction manager? Each one has its own variables of critical courses and missions to follow. With this in mind, some of the best courses I have attended would be the Defense Intelligence Agency's Collection Management course, the Targeting course, um, the United States Army OSINT office courses, OS 301 to 305, uh, any Special Operations Command course, and any course relating to network development and advanced analytics. But I didn't go straight into these courses right away. I started at the entry-level analytical courses and critical thinking, ISR 101, anything that I could set a foundation for my future. Then I started to seek what the civilian world was looking at. I thought, how important is artificial intelligence, the internet of things, data science, and countering threats to finance were becoming. I also thought about how the Department of Defense was collaborating with interagency partners and civilian organizations. Once again, how can I make myself relevant? How can I set myself apart from my peers? But this time, to the entire civilian and military world. Finally, from an academic perspective, I would say that on average, a warrant officer should be attaining an associate's by the time they're a W-2, an undergrad by W-3, and master's by W-4. Many times we fall into a habitual mindset of being content with what we have and where we're at. I was guilty of that at one point, but this is where you reach out to your counterparts, colleagues, and friends. They will tell you not to be content with being basic. They will encourage you to be better every day, and as you progress through your career, you'll begin to see that those that you admire do the same for you. The fruit of our labor and subordinates is clearly articulated and defined over a matter of time. The key to remember to all this is to think to yourself, what legacy am I leaving behind for my family, the military, and most importantly, for myself? As a mentor in the cohort, what additional advice would you offer a potential applicant? The only thing I can really tell you is, if you want it, nothing's going to stop you from getting it. 
350 foxes are alphas by the very nature of our job. We're go-getters, go-to warrants for all other MOSs in the Army, and what people normally think of when they think intelligence operations in support of the military intelligence branch as a whole. Technicians are not built to be jacks of all trades. We're built to be subject matter experts in our fields with knowledge of other specialties and doctrine across all other militaries. We find, fix, and finish our tasks with precision, and for most of our goals, we don't complain about them. The best way to figure out what you want in your career is to find someone you admire and talk to them about this very topic. I guarantee you all of our experiences will be different from one another. The last thing I will tell you is that the warrant officer is not perfect. We are always growing and in high demand for the right talent. If you want to be challenged, if you like problem solving and being held accountable to innovate on a daily basis, then this MOS is for you. As you continue gaining experience and finally think that you've done it all, I would challenge each and every one of you listening to this and attempt to articulate your own standard operating procedures on how you get to where you are today and share this with the world. Always remember, being a warrant officer means being a professional, especially when no one is looking. Thank you for hosting me and thank you to all of our listeners who seek to challenge themselves to become a future warrant officer of the United States of America. I hope to one day serve with you and defend our country side by side. Thank you. Chief Mitre, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Uh, we really appreciate your insight into the world of the 350 Fox. And again, uh, for our listeners out there, just remember, go warrant now. <laughs>